Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Play Me Tape, a show where we delve song by song into the music that means something. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Darren. Salut. <laughs> and my name is Jake. How you doing? Doing good. It's fun to be back. I'm glad I've got a neat song chosen for today. The challenge is, and we spoke about this in picking a song, is is there enough to build an episode on? And I think there is. I think that between the, the band that I've chosen and the song that I've chosen, that there is enough. But in contrast to songs like Fly to the Angels, where there's a, a large personal story involved, today's song I just really, really like. Yeah. And not, the, not like there's anything wrong with that. It, when we say the music that means something, not every song has to be have some sort of huge emotional weight. Sometimes it's it's just about enjoying the song. It's just about how much we love it. The song I've chosen, it does have a personal feel to it. Although it's funny, it wasn't until I started researching the song that I realized what it was actually about and why it sort of made sense to me. Interesting. Previous to that, it was just a case of, wow, I love the sound of this song and I like this band and it's an early song from the band. So I might as well explain what song and what band it is. I chose Pale Shelter by Tears for Fears. Right. You seem to think that you didn't know the song. I did know the song. I didn't know the song title. So it's a song that I had heard many times, played on radio, played on much music, I assume. I assume there was a video for this song. Yeah, there is. It's earlier than I thought. It's 83? Is that what year it is? It's kind of interesting because they've released it multiple times. Yeah, okay. I was going to ask you about that too. Yeah. It's been spread all over the place. They initially, it was it was actually the second song they ever did as the band Tears for Fears. Okay. And it was one of the demos that got them a record deal. Right. In 1981. They had no success with it initially. So that's why they just kept trying. <laughs> we know there's something here. A, yeah. We know is, that there's something with this song and it just needs to grab people. It just needs to be heard. I think that happens a lot. Yeah. Today, they I think the kids call them uh, plants mm -hmm. as in an industry plant yeah in in that there's a song that they just need to get on the radio and I, i'm assuming it's because they put so much money into it or invested so much time and effort into it that it has to be brought to market and it has to become successful yeah or that's this, just the certainty that it is going to connect with people sometimes i, I don't know, you know how they know though what what I mean, taking it out of the context of the uh, the label, you know, you often get artists that are just so certain that what they've created, whether it's a delusional certainty or not, yeah. but whether they, they have that certainty that what they've created is something of value and they want it to be shared. And so they push until it gets heard. And you certainly hear about people like Madonna who, you know, people credit her career with just her, her willingness to stick with it and in the early days and to, to push and keep pushing until people heard her music. It seems to be fairly common. And I, I know from listening to the radio, you'll hear songs come up and they will play them to death. I don't know that it happens as much as it used to. Mm. I don't know if it's just because the industry has changed and record sales are not the marker for success. But back in the day, you'd hear a song come up and they would just play it to death until, you know, and if it didn't achieve much success, it would just kind of disappear. Yeah. And you got to wonder in certain cases where they played the hell out of them and they just didn't catch on. How yeah. disappointed the band was, how disappointed the record label was. Why were those songs chosen to be the ones to go yeah. in regular rotation or constant rotation? Is it the press? Is it payola? Is it something else going on? Yeah, I hear you. You know, the whole payola thing, how that affected the music that we listened to. Oh, I'm sure hugely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sort of given to us. 
you know, I've always looked at you like, you know, why do you listen to this stuff? The music that when you, when you brought the Sufjan Stevens album, you know, my question was, where did you find this? And it was right. because you were reading industry books and magazines and things like that. Whereas for me, typically it was either going to be the radio that pushed the song down my throat, or it was somebody that I knew that was playing something or felt that something was interesting and wanted to play it for me and see if I liked it as well. Or sometimes it's quite literally just they have it playing in their car as you're going somewhere. <laughs> There's so many bands and so many songs that I've come across just because someone had the cassette in while we were driving from point A to point B. And I also think in a lot of cases, it's the second album. You know, the first album kind of came on the scene and everybody loved it. It was the second album that gets played to death as they try and push. And in so many cases, the sophomore slump yeah. happens and... And stuff gets ignored. But I think in so often the first album, when you look at something like Nevermind and then the second album that came along from Nirvana, it got played a fair bit. It didn't have near the, the same feeling or impact as the first album, the first album that we paid attention to not Nirvana's right. first album. Right, right. I think over the years, I've also encountered people, mostly music snobs, who are like, you listen to the radio? <laughs> What's up with that? Can't you yeah. find your own music? And I always felt that you and Mark felt that way about me. That what's with this guy? Doesn't he, doesn't he have a, an opinion about other music than what's played on the radio? And I always felt embarrassed to present you guys with any music because, like I said, it's stuff that was played on the radio. So everybody knew about it. But you were too busy listening to other stuff to pay attention to the radio stuff. Yes and no. I listened to a fair bit of radio. Or I don't think I ever consciously judged you for listening to stuff or finding stuff on the radio because how else did you do it back then, right? Yeah. Uh, so much of the stuff that I found that I really liked is because I was walking past Much Music or I had flicked over to Much Music and I, I saw some amazing video, right? The song they were playing blew me away. And it's the same thing with radio. My problem with radio was never that it was a format I didn't care for or... My problem with it was always, and we've talked about this offline, was that they would have their short playlists. And if you didn't like what was in the cycle, then you didn't like radio. So yeah. if you remember the alternative radio station that I listened to almost exclusively in my teen, when it rolled around to the late 90s and early 2000s, it was still an alternative to top 40 radio or to classic rock or whatever. But nonetheless, they chased trends themselves. It wasn't as though it, was, it existed in isolation or in a vacuum of some kind. So when you got an album or a genre of music that cropped up, suddenly that became all they would play. And I remember just not really loving the whole new metal genre when it right. when it cropped up. I, I was not a fan of Limp Bizkit so much. I didn't have a problem with it, but I didn't it didn't grab me. It wasn't my bag. And Linkin Park, I suppose, fell into that as well. And they were fine. It just it wasn't really my bag. And then suddenly the radio was playing that to the exclusion of almost everything else. Yeah. So the station that I was listening to previously, which was a seemed like it was a mix of things, now suddenly became about that dominant genre of music. And I just turned off. I just switched out. So I was really thankful when I came to a point in my life where I had a car with a CD player in it. <laughs> yeah. You know, or a car with a, a tape deck in it even. There was something really fun about making mixtapes, no doubt. But I always did like listening to radio. I never had an issue with radio per se. Yeah, I always felt it was the easy way. It's just always in the car, right? Yeah. I, my hobby was driving. I was always yeah. driving somewhere. So I always had the radio on. Although when I put the big stereo in the First, it was in my old Civic and then in the Renault. I had a 12-disc CD changer. Yeah. And so I would just load that up with usually bass-heavy songs. Right. 
I remember one time cruising Young Street in my 1983 Civic sedan with the 1,000-watt stereo system. I remember that car. And I was playing uh, Van Halen, Running with the Devil, turned up to 11. Right. And I was with my brother, and even he gave me a hard time. He's like, you know, these big stereos, they're not really made for this type of music. I'm like, what? So after that, I think I put on some Cypress Hill (laughs) and rattled everybody's windows. Nice. There was a coolness and uncoolness to certain types of music along the way as well, and that happened through radio. Classic rock for a while fell out of favor in a lot of ways. In the era of grunge and and Britpop, and obviously our slice was the 90s. Yeah. I mean, you got to a point where suddenly, though they may have been beloved by their legions of fans, you got bands like Guns N' Roses that were suddenly just out of fashion. Suddenly they just kind of weren't cool anymore. That's how fast things change. And then they were cool. Yeah. And I don't know that there's anything that's off limits now. I know uh, Nickelback gets a really hard time for being super uncool. They sure do. Uh, Limp Biscuit. I think it's the same. Yeah. But I'm sure they'll have their time in the sun again. Well, I, I think that is strictly due to the fact that it was a it was a genre of music that came up and it had an overwhelming or an overarchingly similar sound so that you knew new metal when you heard it. It, it all sounded of the same type. And so who knows? Maybe that's going to come into a, uh, a nostalgia way. I think it will. And I think I, I think everything does. Dig out the Limp Biscuit, and it'll be like when in the '90s when that Buffalo radio station brought back disco, <laughs> right? And suddenly we were hearing all this disco stuff that we really had never heard before. Yeah. And rather than being the god awful garbage that we had been informed for years that disco was, when you were actually hearing it being played song by song in a randomly chosen radio rotation, I remember listening to it and thinking, oh "My God, I like I like disco. This is great. Yeah. You know, it's funky. It's upbeat. It, the vocals were amazing. The songs yeah. were interesting. But nope, it was terrible because it was disco." <laughs> Yeah, as soon as it had that name attached to it, people yeah. said, you know, disco sucks. It's yeah. awful. Unfortunately, that radio station did not last very long in that format. So it, I didn't get to listen to it for very long, but it was it was just a few months. But I loved it while it was there. That's all it lasted, eh? A few months. Maybe a year on the outside. And you know what killed it? Buffalo? That... <laughs> what is your problem with Buffalo? Good Lord. Chops never stops. <laughs> no. Mighty Tiaco. No, the thing that killed it was that was a radio station that suddenly got the franchise to be a Howard Stern affiliate. So oh, okay. overnight, overnight they, they inked the deal to carry Howard Stern. And so the very next day you came in and it was a classic rock station with, oh, Howard, okay. with Howard Stern talking over it. So. Right. Nice. Go Bills. Right. Well, we should probably get into listening to this song. It's a good one. I think it's definitely worth a listen, and I've got some cool stuff about Tears for Fears and the song Pale Shelter. Sweet. For for after we listen to it. So, hey, Jake. Yes, Darren? Play me tape!
right, you've just been listening to a clip of Pale Shelter by Tears for Fears. Yep, I had heard the song. Nope, I could not have picked this song out of a lineup based on its title. I did not remember the title of the song. That is completely true. But as soon as I heard it, it came back to me. I don't have specific memories of this song. This is just one of those things that I heard, I'm sure, playing on the radio. And one of the things that occurred to me almost immediately when I started to look at Tears for Fears songs and their albums. When I looked them up, I assumed you'd be talking about them to some degree. And when I looked them up, I was surprised just by how much music they have that is awesome. They're a band that I wasn't even particularly on my radar until you look back at, you know, their three really big albums and the songs that are on those albums. And a, a pretty amazing little catalog of music. I never owned any Tears for Fears, but I certainly remember the year when the album after this album. Yeah. Songs from the Big Chair. Yeah, and Shout was just a monster hit when I was in about grade six. And that was, I think, the first single of about three that became top 40 hits on on that follow-up album. Where I heard Pale Shelter, I can't say, but I know that it was something that got played. I heard it. I heard it many times. I don't have any specific memories associated with it, but what a great song. Really great hook. Super synthy, so I think you're probably going to love that. Great, interesting bass line that's, you know forward enough in the mix that i can actually hear it for a change yeah great great song fun song no idea what it's about so i'll let you take it i'll let you explain sure (laughs) it's a bit of a tough song to to pick the lyrics up in and and in listening to it and, and reading the lyrics at the same time you start to realize that it's, you know, it's a relatively simple song, but, uh, as far as meaning goes, might as well talk about it since you just mentioned it. Mm -hmm. It was the songwriter, Roland Orzabal, who's the guitarist and one of, you know, they're both vocalists. Kurt Smith is the bassist in the band. He's actually the one that sings Pale Shelter and, uh, Roland Orzabal is kind of the background vocal. He described it as, he says, it's kind of a love song, though more referring to one's parents than to a girl. Mm Mm-hmm. So the meaning sort of is generally accepted as being, it's about a teenager, a rebellious teenager that is sort of angry with their parents and saying, you know, the line, you don't give me love, you give me pale shelter. And pale shelter is just kind of, you know, it it really has no meaning. It it was a a reference to a, a sculpture, a British sculpture called the pale shelter. And he just thought it sounded cool. So he used it as a lyric. Yeah, so when I when I actually realized that, I went, oh, okay. I, I don't know if subconsciously I I picked up on this song because of that, but it obviously makes sense in my situation. You know, I had a bit of a tough childhood, and I can talk about being angry, and that's sort of what this is about. So it's an interesting song. It was on their first their first studio album, The Hurting, nineteen eighty three. You know, this was a demo song, and it really didn't go anywhere for them. And then it came out on that album, and it kind of didn't do a whole lot, but they just kept trying and mercury records went crazy with this song for some reason i guess there was some you'd know more about this than me but picture discs and colored vinyl and all that kind of stuff in the 70s and 80s in this case mercury records put out 11 different variations of the single on different colored vinyl and trying to push it and they finally reached number five in the uk after pushing and pushing and pushing even to the point where Tears for Fears was actually playing this song twice in concert. They were really trying to sell this song for some reason. Right. I don't know why. They never gave up with this song. It was over like a three-year period that they just kept pushing and pushing. 
So, trying to make it happen. Yeah. And eventually it did. The The odd thing is they came up with a version of it specifically for Canada. And it became a big hit in Canada because of it. Really? And it was a different mix. And I think I had mentioned to you to play the two different mixes. This is the one that I told you to listen to is actually the second version, which is the, the Canadian version of it. And it was two different producers and they just tweaked the song. The difference is the producer that they used for the popular version, the band didn't like. Didn't uh, get along with the producer? No, himself. they didn't like him. They thought he was too commercial for them. He was just trying to produce a hit. Right. And they didn't think that was an important thing in their in their career. I, his name was Mike Howlett. Uh, I guess their original producer was off working with Peter Gabriel on the So album. Right. Monster album. Yeah. And so they brought in this fella and he, he'd had success. He'd actually was the guy he won a Grammy for the Flock of Seagulls album in 1982. So they brought him in and he did this version of it, but the, the band didn't like it. And personally, I like it quite a bit better than the original album version. It has more fullness to it. The original version to me sounded a bit hollow. So the, the interesting thing about this Mike Howlett guy is he actually was in a band. He was the lead singer in a band. And the band included Sting, Stuart Copeland, and Andy Summers. Really? But the band was called Strontium 90. Right, okay. And he kind of left. And they changed their name. And Stuart Copeland and Sting took off. And Andy Summers had kind of hung around with this Howlett guy for a little bit. And he bailed and they went and formed the police, which is a neat little fact about this guy. It's a really cool song. I, For whatever reason, this is a song that I heard probably as a young kid, right? This is early to mid eighties. Yeah. And I really didn't pay any attention to Tears for Fears until the song Shout came out. Mm -hmm. And this was one of those situations where I think I saw it on much music where I was just sitting in front of the TV and, and this song comes on and it blew my head off because I liked it so much. On first listen, I remember hearing the song Shout and falling in love with it and wanting to hear it over and over again. And then clearly Tears for Fears was then on my radar. And so I must have listened to some other stuff. But Pale Shelter went away for, I don't know, 25 years. You know, maybe I heard it on the radio here and there. But otherwise, it was a case of me going and finding it again on Spotify and going, oh, my God, that song. Yeah, I love that song. It's a funny thing because for the for the version, for, for this to be the version which took off, I understand what you mean. The production does sound different. And I probably prefer the second single version. However, it seems like an outlier because did you check out the song length? That song is six and a half minutes long. Which is there is really, an extended edit, yeah. Which is really, that's, well, maybe I inadvertently clicked on the extended version. Because yeah. if that, that's the case with that song, that's a really unusual song length to make it. I mean, not every song can be Stairway to Heaven and go on yeah. for seven minutes and still wow people and become a hit single. That's the challenge with this song, though, in trying to go back and listen to it, like me trying to direct you to it. Mm -hmm. There's so many different versions of this song that it's, Hard to say. I think I told you to go look for the second single version yeah. on Spotify. Obviously, the if you go to YouTube and you play the video, that's the version. Right. That, okay. the, the radio version of it. It's a really interesting video, too. It's well worth a watch. It's quite strange. And the band looks so young in the video. I could have chosen any number of songs from Tears for Fears. There's a song called Change, which is I love every bit as much as I love this song. Right. And I also love the song Shout. Yeah. After that, they kind of fell off for me. You know, everybody wants to rule the world. Really? It's okay. It's a how good song. You, how can you be mad about that song? I dare you, sir. It maybe have been overplayed for me. I don't sure. know. 
Uh, they certainly they had changed their sound enough by the time sowing the seeds of love came out. They had changed their sound enough that that was really the only the only song on that album which became a hit. They released I think two more singles from that third album, and I think that was the only one that that made it as a hit, which is unfortunate. Yeah, they sort of fell off after that, and they actually ended up breaking up in 1991, and they didn't talk to each other for nine years. Oof, just creative differences, and they had been fighting for years. They'd been teenage friends, so yeah, let that be a warning to you. Don't be stupid. <laughs> I won't talk to you for nine years. All right. No, I, it's unfortunate when you hear about stuff like that, right? Here's a band that had a bunch of success and then they just got so sick and tired of each other that uh, they kind of fell apart in nine years. And then they came back together and, and apparently are still performing to this day. You know, the whole nostalgia movement in the 80s and stuff like that. People are, are loving this type of music again. So these bands have found life again. They listed, there were more albums listed. So have they, they must have gone back to recording when they reformed. They must be recording new material. I, they did. It, it's possible that they're, rec- they're continuing to tour based on their original material and, and they're making, I'm sure, enough money doing that. But it, I, I would be shocked if they weren't recording as well. Yeah, there's, there were six studio albums. They've had 28 singles released. Wow. I never owned an album by them. Never, never went to the store and went, oh, I should buy songs from the big chair because that was the big album, obviously. Yep. I never chased them down. This was a band that kind of, that I liked at the time, but you know, I didn't go crazy for them, but I really realized how good they were much, much later on. Again, that whole music accessibility with the internet. Yeah. Thank you. Go back. Yeah. Go, go back and find the stuff and realize just how much I like it and, and how much I enjoy it. And this song is on, on one of my playlists that gets played quite a bit. And every time I hear it, I like it. And clearly other people do too. I mean, this song was actually sampled pretty heavily by the weekend okay i didn't know that yeah in a song called secrets which also borrows a line from the romantic song talking in your sleep nice it's a really good song and the use of the the pale shelter in it is pretty neat whether that's a nod to the popularity in canada i don't know or just just a random sample that we get the weekend weekend being a canadian artist canadian yeah yeah. well worth a listen yeah i like the weekend i i like a lot of his music so it was neat to need to hear that enjoyed it so it's one of those songs that i think i've always liked pale shelter it's it's a band i've always liked it was interesting to go in and read about them and you know realize what they had been up to and where they had come from and and the neat stories and and relationships but also a band that if you don't think about them they're just kind of there you know if you're listening to the radio you'll hear shout you might hear pale shelter on the radio still that's the thing. I don't have a lot of memory of it. It's more about me wanting to go back and listen to it and pay attention to it and enjoy 80s music. You know, the, the synth, like you said, the synth in the 80s, I, I can never get enough of. This song's neat in that it's pretty synthy, but it also has an amazing guitar strum. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You get that yeah. get that very analog yeah, sound. I love that. I love the mix. Paired with the synth. Yeah. It's a nice mix. Well, we should probably look at wrapping things up. I suggest going in and listening to this song a few more times and go in and listen to some of the other stuff too from Tears for Fears. I think it'll surprise you. I think they've got a pretty solid music collection. Absolutely. Do you want to give out the email address? Sure. Send us a message at playmetatepodcast at gmail.com. Great. Well, as always, thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, please consider following us. Until next time, keep listening to the music that means something and always try and listen with an open mind. End communication.